as we continue in our series through the life, um, not through the life, that, I was just saying that on autopilot. Okay, here we go. Here's what we're doing right now. We're going to look at Colossians 3, 1 through 14, um, where we're going to study Paul's letter to the Colossians. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, or in these you too, once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. So at the Ray House, oftentimes we enjoy to have a we love to enjoy to have a, a great family dinner. We enjoyed that last night. Sometimes we choose to put on a TV show while we eat together. And typically while we um, watch the TV show, it's usually a cooking show. Seems apropos for mealtime. And we usually have one of three cooking shows if we go that route. We, um, we enjoy Chopped. Anyone here enjoyed a good Chopped show? That's, I'm not sure what's wrong with y'all. Have y'all not? Seen that? Okay. Here's another one. We also really enjoy Triple D, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives with Guy Fieri. Raise your hand if you've watched that. Maybe a little better, okay. Virginia's favorite of all, for whatever reason, is Beat Bobby Flay, who's like an expert chef. Virginia thoroughly enjoys that. But if we go off the cooking show, there's another reality show that we enjoy to watch that we just watched the other night called Northwoods Law, okay? Who here has ever seen Northwoods Law, okay? Think of cops 
in the beautiful forested areas of Maine, okay? In the show Northwood's Law, they follow these game wardens, okay? And these game wardens, they're like protecting the beautiful countryside of Maine, and they're checking hunting licenses and fishing licenses and doing all these things. But you really do exposed, you really do get exposed to kind of the reality of human depravity, the human heart. It's on full display on Northwood's Law, okay? Um, there's also some heartwarming, tender moments. Like this past week when we watched Northwood's Law, a game warden was rescuing some precious little ducklings from a storm drain, and they pulled the drain off, and they got the ducklings reunited with their mother, and it was a heartwarming moment, which just paved the way for what came next. Like I said, it's a, it's a revelation of the human heart. And this one particular game warden, like, Maine is a gorgeous state. I would not want to be there in the winter, but it's a gorgeous, beautiful state. Like, it seems like pure and untainted by, like, urban city life. It just seems like a gorgeous place to be. And so, for whatever reason... There was this particular area um, in Maine, this gorgeous area that had been placed, that had been used as like an illegal dumping ground for trash. Like there was a big sign on the road that indicated that the road was closed, you couldn't dump trash, and yet in this gorgeous, like beautiful open meadow, you see these huge hefty trash bags, like, you know, in this open meadow, just sullying the area. So this particular game warden and his partner and the camera crew grow out, God, and they're going to try to stop this. They're going to try to find someone and arrest someone and bring them to justice to provide a deterrent. So they go out. They go out, and they're very excited because they see a truck, a white truck, okay? And they see mounds of black, hefty trash bags in the truck bed, and they think, this is it. We're going to catch this guy. We're going to send a message. This needs to stop. So they hide behind the foliage, and they're using hushed tones. They're in the car, not sure why they did that, but they're in the car. The guy gets out. He goes to the back of the truck bed. He's going to open the tailgate. You see this huge, you know, um, big pile of trash bags. And his peripheral vision, he sees the police car, okay? Pretends he's like minding his own business, goes back over, starts to get in. The police officer goes up. He stops him. He says, sir, can we walk to the back of the bed of your truck? He was like, what is this? He's like, well, these are, this is my trash to my house. He was like, well, why are you out here? He said, I just love to come out here and clear my head. <laughs> I love nature, and I love to come out here and clear my head. He goes, did you see the big sign on the road when you, when you came in that the road was closed and you couldn't dump trash out? He goes, I didn't see that sign. I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, so you weren't going to take this trash and dump it right here. And he's like, no way I would not dream of doing such a thing, okay? <laughs> I mean, lied with impunity. Like he was fluent in the language of lies. Next scene, they go down to this it's a beautiful babbling brook in Maine. I'd like to go there. And so he was out there enforcing fishing limits, okay, because you could only take two trout and then a certain size. 
So the guy gets out, he's in the woods, and you see this very interesting-looking fellow from Maine, and he has a fishnet full of trash, okay? And he sees the officer, and the officer said, good day, sir, like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just out here, people litter everywhere, I'm just filling up my net with trash, trying to help. He's like, well, do you have anything under the trash? Okay, then the narrator comes on and says, this is a way that people do, they hide their illegal catch with this huge mountain of trash in their fishing net. And he said, do you have any trout in the bottom of this net? He goes, as a matter of fact, I do. And he said, well, could you dump out the trash and could we see this? And he dumps it out. Of course, he has three trout there. He goes, well, you realize there is a two trout limit in this stream. He goes, I did realize that. I got the third over in this lake over there. He's like, you did? Well, where at the lake did you get this? And he's like, at the lake. But where at the lake? Like there wasn't a place to fish up there. He goes, so where would it be at the lake? Just at the lake, just over there, somewhere around the lake. That's where I fished and got the lake. Just lying through his teeth. He was like, did you realize that lake is not stocked? No, I didn't realize that. <laughs> Last but not least, um, as you can tell, this is very fascinating. This, this, we've thoroughly enjoyed this. So there's this, there's a, uh, there's a, I guess a stand in the trees, a hunting stand, and it's illegal to bait the deer. You, you can have the stand, but you can't bait the deer. So they come up, see the guy, and they bring him down, and there's like apples everywhere on the ground, okay? And there's no apple trees. He's like, do you know that it's illegal to bait this stand? He goes, absolutely I do. And he's like, well, are these your apples? No, they're not my apples. I have no idea how these apples got here. No idea whatsoever. Um, and he's like, well, obviously these are your apples. No, they're not my apples. No, I've, n I've never seen these apples before. Lying with impunity. Like, it is just such a commentary such a picture of sin at work, okay, where these people, and we've all been there, we've all done this, we are well acquainted with the language of deception, that could have been, if those guys would have followed us, there would have been various very embarrassing things caught on film. Paul is teaching the Colossians about the wickedness and the heinousness and the depravity that is still part of the old man. So he's, he's identifying that, he's acquainting them with that, and he's encouraging them not to live that way anymore because that's not true of who they are. So let's look at verses one through four. We're gonna ultimately see the depravity of the human heart on full display. But here's how he grounds his teaching. It's going to build on what Chris Coleman just said. He's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to use the language of putting on and putting off clothing. Put off certain things, put on certain things, and he's going to ground it and root it on the fact that you have union with Christ. Okay, look at verses 1 through 4. Theologians refer to a section like this as teaching union with Christ. Connection with Christ. Verse 1, Paul writes, If then, if you have been raised with Christ, now obviously they haven't literally bodily been raised with Christ and they're not literally sitting with Christ in heaven. 
But he's going to say that when you trust in Christ by grace through faith, that becomes true of you in some sense. What's true of Jesus is true of you. If then you have been raised with Christ, when you trusted in Christ by grace through faith, you enjoy the power of his resurrection. When you trust in Jesus, it's as if you were raised um, out of that tomb when Christ was raised. If then you have been raised with Christ, other translations translate that, since you have been raised with Christ, because he's talking with believers, if then or since, since this is true of you, since you've trusted in Christ, since you are raised with him, since you're with Christ in heaven in a sense, well then, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You are connected to Jesus by grace through faith. He's ruling and reigning in heaven. You need to live your life accordingly. You need to value what he values. Okay, live like he wants you to live because you are connected to him. Verse two, set your minds on things above, like where Christ is, what's true of God's character, not on the things that are on the earth. In other words, don't be worldly. You can live in the world, but don't be like the world. Verse three, for you have died. Okay, he said at the beginning, you've been raised with Christ. Okay, you are so united to Jesus by grace through faith, you have died with him and you have been raised with him. Verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are connected to Jesus by grace through faith and when Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That's some of the most exalting, substantial, Christological truth anywhere in the Bible. And theologians refer to it as union with Christ. When you trust in Jesus, you get all the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection. And those truths, those truths are true of you and me right now. God views us as having died with Christ and having been raised in him, him and that gives us assurance of salvation. Now, because that great truth is real and part of who we are, then therefore, in response, here's how you are to live. Live in light of who you are. Live in light of your union with Christ, verses five through six. Paul writes, put to death, therefore, what is earthly or worldly or sinful in you. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you and then all of these vices, if you will, these sinful descriptors, these are all variations on sexual immorality, okay? The first one, sexual immorality, that's a generic term for sexual sin, comes from the Greek word porneia, and all of the others are related to this. Various kinds of sexual immorality. So put to death, stop. Don't do what is earthly, what is sinful in you. Don't engage in sexual immorality sex outside of marriage. Don't engage in various forms of impurity. Passions, meaning sinful passions. Evil desires and covetousness, the desire to engage in these things, which he writes is idolatry. It's hard, I guess, it, sadly, it's becoming easier for us, for us to relate to kind of the 
the sexual ethic of the Greco-Roman world in the first century now that we have like, you know, a redefinition, a, re, a, a different understanding of what marriage is, what personal identity is, um, choosing your own pronoun, choosing your own gender, creating your own conception of family. Like we are now more and more living in a post-Christian culture, but still those things are out of step with the culture at large, probably in 20 or 30 years, it's probably not going to be that way. It still is. To make those kinds of choices, choices, it's going against the grain of kind of our, our Christian, Judeo-Christian culture. That is not what Paul was speaking into. It would amaze you. I encourage you to read about the, the sexual ethic of the Greco-Roman world in the first century, it, it would truly amaze you. The promiscuousness, the debauchery, the sexual sin that was rampant and the norm, the different rules that applied to Roman men and Roman women, and how it was totally normal and ordinary to violate your slaves or engage in illicit relationships in your slaves. And, and it was almost the norm that men were allowed to have concubines. You couldn't have affair, an affair with another Roman man's wife, but there were all these other ways to gratify the sexual passions of the flesh. I think there were... 47 or 48 known identified brothels in ancient Rome. It was the norm. It was the expectation. So this was an incredible worldview shift for these believers in Colossae who were born and raised and they breathed this air to be told that Sexual intimacy is reserved in marriage for a husband and a wife and to put these desires to death. It was this kind of teaching that turned the world upside down. You think about what a miracle it was that Christianity spread in the first century. So these Greco-Roman Gentiles who had trusted in a crucified Jewish Messiah. So even that, again, we cannot appreciate how amazing it was that any Greco-Roman citizen trusted their life and believed in the death and resurrection of a crucified Jew. That was a miracle. And now they were being told to live according to this whole new way of life. Because what he's saying is you are a new man. You're a new person. That old self was crucified with Christ and you are part of a new creation, a new world order. You are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Paul writes in verse 10. To engage in these practices is tantamount to idolatry it's to bow down to a different altar, to a different authority. You're different. 
And because you're different, because you're a part of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, he's calling you to live a new life. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing. It's, it's becoming more of who you are beholding. Put to death these things. These things are not fit for your new identity. Look at verses 7 through 11. He continues. He's going to add more to it. In these, you too once walked. He's about to describe these, these other things that were part of the old man, part of the old way of living, part of the oxygen you breathed, part of your former way of life. Okay, verse 8. But you've got to put them all away. You've got to put them to death. Like the Westminster Confession of Faith indicates that there is a continual, irreconcilable war going on between the flesh, between the sinful aspect of who you are, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is more powerful, we talked about last week. It is a more powerful ethical force. We will grow, but the presence of sin remains. And the language of bloody, barbaric warfare is apropos. That's what's going on in your heart and in mine. All the time, every day, a war between the flesh, the sinful part of who we are, and the spirit. Verse 8, he's saying, no tolerance here. This is not to get to heaven. This is because we're going to heaven. The indicatives, the do's flow out of who you are in Christ Jesus. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice. These are dispositions of the heart that are going to lead to sins of the tongue. Anger, wrath, malice, which leads to slander and obscene talk, like saying terrible things about people, thinking terrible things about people, slandering them, gossiping about them. If we're honest, we have to admit that this, these are descriptors of what all of us do more regularly than we would care to admit. The purpose of all these ultimately is to lay us low and show us our need for the Lord Jesus Christ and his renovating power. Just think about how you've thought about people. What you may have already thought about me up to this point in the sermon. Probably most of you need to repent just from that of the various things you've thought. Most of them are probably true, by the way. Think about this. This is our own confession of sin. You must put them all away, but we, we justify them. We reason that they're, they're warranted in particular situation. Anger, sinful anger. Wrath, malice, like having ill will toward other people. Slandering them, talking about them, saying terrible things about them, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why? Because you've put off the old self. That's not true of you. It's not consistent of you. 
Why? You've put on the new self. You have a new identity. You were bought by the blood of the Lamb. You are an adopted child of Jesus Christ. Live in a way that's fitting of who he is and being a part of his kingdom. You know, we are experts at justifying our sin, rationalizing our sin. That's nothing new. They did it in the first century. It was a very classist society. So um, your slaves or other people, here the list is um, barbarians, Scythians, which was a very, it was, it was a, an even more barbarian type of barbarian, a more uncouth, unclean kind of barbarian they called Scythians, slaves. People would justify what they would do because these people weren't worthy or deserving of their respect because they were a barbarian, a Scythian, a slave. And he's saying, that's not true. If they love the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is in them. There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. No, no, no. But Christ is all, and he's in all. And these false teachers had created so much strife, so much difficulty, so much conflict from within the church. He's saying, don't do this. Jesus Christ and his grace and Holy Spirit are in all of these people. Treat them with love and respect. He describes it in verses 12 through 14. I've got to stay on time here. Verses 12 through 14. This, this um, imagery of, of, of taking off certain clothes and putting on other clothes, taking off the old man as it were, putting on the new man more and more. Put on then is God's elect or God's chosen ones. Holy, which means you're set apart, and beloved, meaning you are the object of his most tender affection. Because that's true of you, then show compassionate hearts. It's really hard in English for us to understand what Paul is saying. Like compassionate hearts, that's like, that's like a redundancy in terms like compassionate hearts, like have a heart for someone or have compassion for someone. It's like saying the same thing. It's an emphatic. These are the words that, that are used like when Jesus saw the widow of Nain, her only son, who had died, and she is heartbroken, and she is beside herself. When Jesus saw the grief of the widow of Nain, okay, um, Luke says, his heart went out to her. Like in the deepest parts of who she was, she had com Jesus had compassion on this woman. He was moved by her plight and situation. It's the same term that's used for the father of the prodigal son when he sees his licentious, broken son coming home. It says his heart went out to him. He showed a heart of compassion for him that moved him. If you understand that you are the beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ, how could we not show compassionate hearts? If you're like me, you could spend a year in confession. 
because of how many times you have failed to show a compassionate heart. He says you're to be kind. You're to show meekness. This was revolutionary. This is different. How do you respond when people are critical of you? How do you respond when people don't do what you want them to do? How do you respond when you feel aggrieved or sinned against? We're called to show compassionate hearts, to forgive like Jesus forgave us. Meekness means gentleness. It doesn't mean passivity. Meekness means power under control. You could have the strongest man in the world who can be meek and gentle and compassionate and restorative. Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. How do you show the value or the fruit of union with Christ? It's what you put off and what you put on. Kindness, meekness, compassionate hearts. I love this word, bearing with one another. This list like basically disqualifies me as your minister. Just thinking through the last week how I have not done these things, how I have been so inconsistent with who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ Forgiving one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I love it the way that Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much, what? Like everybody's been forgiven an, an, a virtual infinite amount, an, an innumerable amount of, of sins we've been forgiven more. But he who has been forgiven much, that doesn't mean some people are forgiven more than others. It's about your perception. He who perceives that he has been forgiven much, he who understands just how wicked and how dark their hearts are and the grace they've received in Jesus Christ, he who has been forgiven much, what? Loves much. The degree to which you're forgiving and compassionate and kind and gentle is a barometer of how much you understand yourself to have received all those same things from the Lord Jesus. This is convicting. This is humbling. It should be encouraging and shaping in all the right ways. This is not intended to beat God's people down, but to build them up and to show them what it means to be part of this redeemed community. Verse 14 brings it all together, and we'll end with this. This whole thing can be summarized by verse 14. And above all, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what it means to put on Christ. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you. We praise you that our old man was crucified on that cross and by grace through faith, we are the new man. We are part of this new creation. We are being renewed in knowledge after the image 
of our Creator, we are becoming more and more molded into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus. Gracious Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make our, our consciences more sensitive, more responsive, more powerful, more tuned into what it means to live after the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit of the living God, sensitize our consciences so that we would be quick to understand when we have crossed the line, when we have gone from like describing a situation to slandering another person, speaking wickedly about another person. Convict us when we begin to have ill will and malice toward other people. Father, encourage us, mold us, change us by your grace to have compassionate hearts, kind hearts, gentle hearts, hearts transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his matchless name. Amen and amen.